Chapter fifty nine, part two of a popular history of France from the earliest times, volume six. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A popular history of France from the earliest times, volume six, by Francois Guizot. Translated by Robert Black. Chapter fifty nine. Louis the sixteenth. Monsieur de Calonne and the Assembly of Notables, seventeen eighty one to seventeen eighty seven. Part two. The Comptroller-General's practice tallied with his theories. The courtiers had recovered the golden age. It was scarcely necessary to solicit the royal favour. When I saw everybody holding out hands, I held out my hat, said a prince. The offices abolished by M. Turgeot and M. Necker were re-established. The abuses which they had removed came back. The acceptances, or acquis de content, rose in 1785 to more than a hundred and thirty-six millions of livres. The debts of the king's brothers were paid. Advantageous exchanges of royal lands were effected to their profit. The queen bought Saint-Cloud, which belonged to the Duke of Orléans. All the great lords who were ruined, all the courtiers who were embarrassed, resumed the pleasant habit of counting upon the royal treasury to relieve their wants. The polite alacrity of the Comptroller-General had subdued the most rebellious. He obtained for Brittany the right of freely electing its deputies. The State's Hall at Rennes, which had but lately resounded with curses upon him, was now repeating a new cry of hurrah for Calonne. A vote of the Assembly doubled the gratuitous gift which the province ordinarily offered the King. Quote, if it is possible, it is done, the Comptroller would say to applicants if it is impossible it will get done the captivation was general the blindness seemed to be so likewise a feverish impulse carried people away into all new-fangled ways serious or frivolous mesmer brought from germany his mysterious revelations in respect of problems as yet unsolved by science and pretended to cure all diseases around the magnetic battery the adventurer Cagliostro, embellished with the title of count and lavishing gold by handfuls, bewitched court and city, and induced Councillor de Premenil to say, quote, The friendship of M. de Cagliostro does me honour. At the same time, pleasant works in the most diverse directions maintained at the topmost place in the world that scientific genius of France which the great minds of the seventeenth century had revealed to Europe. Quote, Special men sometimes testify great disdain as regards the interest which men of the world may take in their labours, and certainly, if it were merely a question of appraising their scientific merit, they would be perfectly right. But the esteem, the inclination of the public for science, and the frequent lively expression of that sentiment, are of high importance to it, and play a great part in its history. The times for that sympathy, somewhat ostentatious and frivolous as it may be, have always been, as regards science, times of impulse and progress, and regarding things in their totality, natural history and chemistry profited by the social existence of M. de Buffon and of M. Lavoisier as much as by their discoveries. M. Guizot, Mélange Biographique, Madame de Ramfort. It was this movement in the public mind, ignorant but sympathetic, which, on the eve of the Revolution, supported, without understanding them, the efforts of the great scholars whose peaceful conquests survived the upheaval of society. Farmer-general of taxes, before he became a chemist, Lavoisier sought to apply the discoveries of science to common and practical wants. 
quote, devoted to the public instruction i will seek to enlighten the people he said to the king who proposed office to him the people were to send him to the scaffold the ladies of fashion crowded to the brilliant lectures of fourcroix the princes of pure science m de lagrange m de laplace m monger did not disdain to wrench themselves from their learned calculations in order to second the useful labors of lavoisier bold voyagers were scouring the world pioneers of those enterprises of discovery which had appeared for a while abandoned during the seventeenth century m de bougainville had just completed the round of the world and the english captain cook during the war which covered all seas with hostile ships had been protected by generous sympathy on the nineteenth of march seventeen seventy nine m de sartines at that time minister of marine wrote by the king's order at the suggestion of m turgot quote, captain cook who left plymouth in the month of july seventeen seventy six on board the frigate discovery to make explorations on the coasts islands and seas of japan and california must be on the point of returning to europe as such enterprises are for the general advantage of all nations it is the king's will that captain cook be treated as the commander of a neutral and allied power and that all navigators who meet this celebrated sailor do inform him of his majesty's orders regarding him captain cook was dead massacred by the savages but the ardor which had animated him was not extinct on the tenth of august seventeen eighty five a french sailor m de la perouse left brest with two frigates for the purpose of completing the discoveries of the english explorer the king had been pleased to himself draw up his instructions bearing the impress of an affectionate and overstrained humanity quote, his majesty would regard it as one of the happiest successes of the expedition said the instructions if it were terminated without having cost the life of a single man la perouse and his shipmates never came back louis the sixteenth was often saddened by it quote, i see what it is quite well the poor king would repeat i am not lucky m de la perouse had scarcely commenced the preparations for his fatal voyage when on the fifth of june seventeen eighty three the states of the vivarais assembled in the little town of annonay were invited by messieurs de montgolfier proprietors of a large paper manufactory to be witnesses of an experiment in physics the crowd thronged the thoroughfare an enormous bag formed of a light canvas lined with paper began to swell slowly before the curious eyes of the public all at once the cords which held it were cut and the first balloon rose majestically into the air successive improvements made in the montgolfier's original invention permitted bold physicists ere long to risk themselves in a vessel attached to the air machine there sailed across the channel a balloon bearing a frenchman m blanchard and an englishman dr jeffreys the latter lost his flag blanchard had set the french flag floating over the shores of england public enthusiasm welcomed him on his return the queen was playing cards at versailles quote, what i win this game shall go to blanchard she said the same feat attempted a few days later by a professor of physics m pelatre de rosier was destined to cost him his life so many scientific explorations 
so many new discoveries of nature's secrets were seconded and celebrated by an analogous movement in literature rousseau had led the way to impassioned admiration of the beauties of nature bernardin de saint pierre had just published his etude de la nature he had in the press his paul et virginie abbe de lille was reading his jardin and m de saint lambert his saison in their different phases and according to their special instincts all minds scholarly or political literary or philosophical were tending to the same end and pursuing the same attempt it was nature which men wanted to discover or recover scientific laws and natural rights divided men's souls between them buffon was still alive and the great sailors were every day enriching with their discoveries the jardin du roi the physicists and the chemists in the wake of lavoisier were giving to science a language intelligible to common folks the jurisconsults were attempting to reform the rigours of criminal legislation at the same time with the abuses they had entailed and beaumarchais was bringing on the boards his mariage de figaro the piece had been finished and accepted at the theatre francais since the end of seventeen eighty one but the police censors had refused permission to bring it out beaumarchais gave readings of it the court itself was amused to see itself attacked caricatured turned into ridicule the friends of madame de polignac reckoned among the most ardent admirers of the mariage de figaro the king desired to become acquainted with the piece he had it read by madame de campin lady of the chamber to the queen and very much in her confidence the taste and the principles of louis the sixteenth were equally shocked Quote, perpetually italian concetti he exclaimed when the reading was over quote, it is detestable said the king it shall never be played the bastille would have to be destroyed to make the production of this play anything but a dangerous inconsistency this fellow jeers at all that should be respected in a government End quote. louis the sixteenth had correctly criticized the tendencies as well as the effects of a production sparkling with wit biting insolent licentious but he had relied too much upon his persistency in his opinions and his personal resolves beaumarchais was more headstrong than the king the readings continued the hereditary grand duke of russia afterwards paul i happening to be at paris in seventeen eighty two under the name of count north no better diversion could be thought of for him than a reading of the mariage de figaro grimm undertook to obtain beaumarchais consent Quote, as says madame de auberkirch who was present at the reading as the mangy or chafouin looks of m de la harpe had disappointed me so the fine face open clever somewhat bold perhaps of m de beaumarchais bewitched me i was found fault with for it i was told he was a good for naught i do not deny it it is possible but he has prodigious wit courage enough for anything a strong will which nothing can stop and these are great qualities beaumarchais took advantage of the success of the reading to boldly ask the keeper of the seals for permission to play the piece he was supported by public curiosity and by the unreflecting enthusiasm of a court anxious to amuse itself the game appeared to have been won the day for its representation at the menu plaisir theatre was fixed an interdiction on the part of the king only excited the ill-humour and intensified the desires of the public Quote, 
this prohibition appeared to be an attack upon liberty in general says madame campin the disappointment of all hopes excited discontent to such a degree that the words oppression and tyranny were never uttered in the days preceding the fall of the throne with more passion and vehemence two months later the whole court was present at the representation of the mariage de figaro given at the house of m de vandreuil an intimate friend of the duchess of polignac on his stage at Genevilliers. Quote, you will see that beaumarchais will have more influence than the keeper of the seals louis the sixteenth had said himself foreseeing his own defeat the mariage de figaro was played at the theatre francais on the twenty seventh of april seventeen eighty four Quote, the picture of this representation is in all the collections of the period says madame de lomeny it is one of the best-known reminiscences of the eighteenth century all paris hurrying early in the morning to the doors of the theatre francais the greatest ladies dining in the actress's dressing-room in order to secure places Quote, the blue ribbons says bachaumont huddled up in the crowd and elbowing savoyards the guard dispersed the doors burst the iron gratings broken beneath the efforts of the assailants Quote, three persons stifled says la harpe one more than for scuttery and on the stage after the rising of the curtain the finest collection of talent that had probably ever had possession of the theatre francais all employed to do honour to a comedy scintillating with wit irresistibly lively and audacious which if it shocks and scares a few of the boxes enchants rouses and fires an electrified pit a hundred representations succeeding the first uninterruptedly and the public still eager to applaud such was the twofold result of the audacities of the piece and the timid hesitations of its censors the mariage de figaro bore a subtitle la folle journée Quote, there is something madder than my piece said beaumarchais and that is its success figaro ridiculed everything with a dangerously pungent vigour the days were coming when the pleasantry was to change into insults already public opinion was becoming hostile to the queen she was accused of having remained devoted to the interests of her german family the people were beginning to call her the austrian during the american war m de vergennes had managed to prevail upon the king to remain neutral in the difficulties that arose in seventeen seventy eight between austria and prussia on the subject of the succession to the elector palatine the young queen had not wanted or had not been able to influence the behaviour of france as her mother had conjured her to do Quote, my dear lady daughter wrote maria theresa mercy is charged to inform you of my cruel position as sovereign and as mother wishing to save my dominions from the most cruel devastation i must cost what it may seek to wrest myself from this war and as a mother i have three sons who are not only running the greatest danger but are sure to succumb to the terrible fatigues not being accustomed to that sort of life by making peace at this juncture i not only incur the blame of great pusillanimity but i rendered the king of prussia still greater and the remedy must be prompt i declare to you my head whirls and my heart has for a long time been entirely numb france had refused to engage in the war but she had contributed to the peace of teschen signed on the thirteenth of may seventeen seventy nine 
on the twenty ninth of november seventeen eighty maria theresa died at the age of sixty-three weary of life and of that glory to which she quote, was fain to march by all roads said the great frederick who added it was thus that a woman executed designs worthy of a great man end quote. in seventeen eighty four joseph the second reigned alone less prudent and less sensible than his illustrious mother restless daring nourishing useful or fanciful projects bred of humanity or disdain severe and affectionate at the same time towards his sister the queen of france whose extravagance he found fault with during the trip he made to paris in seventeen seventy seven he was now pressing her to act on his behalf in the fresh embarrassments which his restless ambition had just excited in europe the mediation of king louis the sixteenth between the emperor and the dutch as to the navigation of the scheldt had just terminated the incident pacifically the king had concluded a treaty of defensive alliance with holland the minister of war m de segur communicated to the queen the note he had drawn up on this important question Quote, i regret he said to marie antoinette to be obliged to give the king advice opposed to the desire of the emperor Quote, i am the emperor's sister and i do not forget it answered the queen but i remember above all that i am queen of france and mother of the dauphin louis the sixteenth had undertaken to pay part of the indemnity imposed upon joseph the second this created discontent in france Quote, let the emperor pay for his own follies people said and the ill-humour of the public openly and unjustly accused the queen this direful malevolence on the part of public opinion springing from a few acts of imprudence and fomented by a long series of calumnies was about to burst forth on the occasion of a scandalous and grievous occurrence on the fifteenth of august seventeen eighty five at mass time cardinal rouen grand almoner of france already in full pontificals was arrested in the palace of versailles and taken to the bastille the king had sent for him into his cabinet Quote, cardinal said louis the sixteenth abruptly you bought some diamonds of burmer yes sir Quote, what have you done with them Quote, i thought they had been sent to the queen Quote, who gave you the commission the cardinal began to be uneasy Quote, a lady the countess de la motte valois she gave me a letter from the queen i thought i was obliging her majesty the queen interrupted she had never forgiven m de rohan for some malevolent letters written about her when she was dauphiness on the accession of louis the sixteenth this intercepted correspondence had cost the prince his embassy to vienna Quote, how sir said the queen could you think you to whom i have never spoken for eight years that i should choose you for conducting this negotiation and by the medium of such a woman Quote, i was mistaken i see the desire i felt to please your majesty misled me and he drew from his pocket the pretended letter from the queen to madame de la motte the king took it and casting his eye over the signature quote, how could a prince of your house and my grand almoner suppose that the queen would sign marie antoinette de france queens sign their names quite short it is not even the queen's writing and what is the meaning of all these doings with jewellers and these notes shown to bankers the cardinal could scarcely stand he leaned against the table quote, sir he stammered 
I am much too overcome to be able to reply. Quote, Walk into this room, Cardinal, rejoined the king kindly. Write what you have to say to me. End quote. The written explanations of M. de Rohan were no clearer than his words. An officer of the bodyguard took him off to the Bastille. He had just time to order his grand vicar to burn all his papers. The correspondence, as well as the life of M. de Rohan, was not worthy of a prince of the church. The vices and the credulity of the cardinal had given him over, bound hand and foot, to an intriguing woman, as adroit as she was daring. Descended from a bastard of Henry II's, brought up by charity and married to a ruined nobleman, Madame de la Motte Valois had bewitched, duped, and robbed Cardinal Rohan. Accustomed to an insensate prodigality, asserting everywhere that a man of gallantry could not live on twelve hundred thousand livres a year, he had considered it very natural that the queen should have a fancy for possessing a diamond necklace worth sixteen hundred thousand livres. The jewellers had, in fact, offered this jewellery to Marie Antoinette. It was during the American War. Quote, that is the price of two frigates, the king had said. Quote, we want ships and not diamonds, said the queen, and dismissed her jeweller. A few months afterwards he told anybody who would listen that he had sold the famous collar in Constantinople for the favourite sultana. Quote, this was a real pleasure to the queen, says Madame Campin. She, however, expressed some astonishment that a necklace made for the adornment of French women should be worn in the seraglio, and thereupon she talked to me a long while about the total change which took place in the tastes and desires of women in the period between twenty and thirty years of age. She told me that when she was ten years younger she loved diamonds madly, but that she had no longer any taste for anything but private society, the country, the work and the attentions required by the education of her children. From that moment until the fatal crisis there was nothing more said about the necklace. The crisis would naturally come from the want of money felt by the jewellers. Madame de la Motte had paid them some instalments on account of the stones, which her husband had sold in England. They grew impatient and applied to the queen. For a long while she did not understand their applications. When the complaints of the purveyors at last made her apprehend an intrigue, she sent for Abbé de Vermont and Baron de Breteuil, minister of the king's household. Both detested the cardinal, both fanned the queen's wrath. She decided at last to tell the king everything. Quote, I saw the queen after the departure of the baron and the abbé, says Madame Campin. She made me tremble at her indignation. The cardinal renounced the privileges of his rank and condition. He boldly accepted the jurisdiction of the parliament. The trial revealed a gross intrigue, a disgraceful comedy, a prince of the church and a merchant equally befooled by a shameless woman, with the aid of the adventurer Cagliostro, and the name, the favours, and even the personality of the queen imprudently dragged in. The public feeling was at its height, constantly overexcited by the rumours circulated during the sessions of the court. Opinion was hostile to the queen. Quote, it was for her and by her orders that the necklace was bought, people said. The houses of Condé and Rouen were not afraid to take sides with the cardinal. These illustrious personages were to be seen, dressed in mourning, waiting for the magistrates on their way, in order to canvass them on their relatives' behalf. On the 31st of May, 1786, the court condemned Madame de la Motte to be whipped, 
branded and imprisoned. They purely and simply acquitted Cardinal Rohan. In its long and continual tussle with the crown, the Parliament had at last found the day of its revenge. Political passions and the vagaries of public opinion had blinded the magistrates. Quote, as soon as I knew the cardinal's sentence, I went to the queen, says Madame Campin. She heard my voice in the room leading to her closet. She called to me. I found her very sad. She said to me in a broken voice, Condole with me, the intriguer who wanted to ruin me or procure money by using my name and forging my signature has just been fully acquitted. But, she added vehemently, as a Frenchwoman, accept my condolence. A people is very unfortunate to have for its supreme tribunal a lot of men who consult nothing but their passions, and of whom some are capable of bribery, and others of an audacity which they have always displayed towards authority, and of which they have just given a striking example against those who are clothed therewith. The king entered at this moment. "'You find the queen in great affliction,' he said to me. "'She has great reason to be. But what then?' they would not see in this business anything save a prince of the church and the prince of rohan whereas it is only the case of a man in want of money and a mere dodge for raising the wind wherein the cardinal has been swindled in his turn nothing can be easier to understand and it needs no alexander to cut this gordian knot guilty in the king's eyes a dupe according to the judgment of history cardinal rohan was exiled to his abbey of chaise dieu less to be pitied than the unhappy queen abruptly wrenched from the sweet dreams of a romantic friendship and confidence as well as from the nascent joys of maternal happiness to find herself henceforth confronting a deluded people and an ever-increasing hostility which was destined to unjustly persecute her even to the block m de calonne had taken little part in the excitement which the trial of cardinal rohan caused in court and city he was absorbed by the incessantly recurring difficulties presented by the condition of the treasury. Speculation had extended to all classes of society. Loans succeeded loans. Everywhere there were formed financial companies, without any resources to speak of, speculating on credit. Parliament began to be alarmed, and enregistered no more credits save with repugnance. Just as he was setting out on a trip to Normandy, which afforded him one of the last happy days of his life, and as it were a dying flicker of his past popularity, the king scratched out on the registers of the Parliament the restrictions introduced by the court into the new loan of eighty millions presented by M. de Calonne. Quote, I wish it to be known that I am satisfied with my controller-general, said Louis the Sixteenth with that easy confidence which he did not always place wisely. When he returned from Cherbourg at the end of June 1786, M. de Calonne had at last arrived at the extremity of his financial expedients. He set his views and his ideas higher. Speculation was succeeded by policy. Quote, Sir, said the note handed to the king by the Comptroller-General, I will not go back to the fearful position in which the finances were when Your Majesty deigned to entrust them to me. It is impossible to recall without a shudder that there was at that time neither money nor credit, that the pressing debts were immense, the revenues exhausted in anticipation, the resources annihilated, the public securities valueless, the coinage impoverished and without circulation, the discount fund bankrupt, the general tax exchequer, or ferme générale, on the point of failing to meet its bills, 
and the royal treasury reduced to two bags of twelve hundred livres. I am far from claiming credit for the success of the operations which, owing to the continuous support given by your majesty, promptly established abundance of coin, punctuality in the payments, public confidence proved by the rise in all securities and by the highest degree of credit, abroad as well as at home. What I must forcibly call your majesty's attention to is the importance of the present moment, the terrible embarrassment concealed beneath the appearance of the happiest tranquillity, the necessity of soon taking some measure for deciding the lot of the state. It must be confessed, sir, that France at this moment is only kept up by a species of artifice. If the illusion which stands for reality were destroyed, if the confidence at present inseparable from the working staff were to fail, what would become of us with a deficit of a hundred millions every year? Without a doubt no time must be lost in filling up a void so enormous, and that can be done only by great measures. The plan I have formed appears to me the one that can solve so difficult a problem. Solely occupied with this great object, which demands enormous labor, and for the accomplishment of which I would willingly sacrifice my existence, I only beg your majesty to accord to me, until I have carried it out, so much support and appearance of favor as I need to give me strength to attain it. It will perhaps be an affair of six months, or a year at most. After that, your majesty may do as you please with me. I shall have followed the promptings of the heartiest zeal for your service. I shall be able to say, Nunc dimitus servum tuum, domino. This mysterious plan, which was to produce results as desirable as rare, and which M. de Calonne had hit upon to strengthen his shaky position, was the same which in 1628 had occurred to Cardinal Richelieu, when he wanted to cover his responsibility in regard to the court of Rome. In view of the stress at the treasury, of growing discontent, of vanished illusions, the Comptroller-General meditated convoking the Assembly of Notables, the feeble resource of the old French kingship before the days of pure monarchy, an expedient more insufficient and more dangerous than the most far-seeing divined after the lessons of the philosophers and the continuous abasement of the kingly majesty. End of chapter 59, part 2